0: What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA, member FDSE. Hey guys, welcome back to a brand new episode of Live Your Personal Best. Today's episode, we are joined by Sal talking about all things resistance training. And I'm so excited for this episode because resistance training is something that doesn't get enough credit in the fitness world. And a lot of times when people... See former athletes, or you know, they ask me, they're like, How do you still look so in shape, or how do you get in shape so much quicker after taking so much time off? And the answer is because when I was an athlete, and even now, I do a ton of resistance training. You know, I'm not just going out there and going for runs or cardio, but I'm actually improving my muscle strength through resistance training. So, I really break down today resistance training, all the science behind it, and how to start incorporating it in your life, especially if it's not something that you normally do. But before we get started, I did just want to make sure, you know, we're all on the same page with what resistance training is. It's not just with the resistance bands, but It's any form of exercise that actually improves your strength and endurance. So some people call this weightlifting or strength training, but it could just be with body weight. It can be with bands. It can be with weighted bars or dumbbells. It's really a whole range of things, basically just thinking the opposite of cardio, and it's probably a resistance or strength training. So with that, can't wait for you guys to listen to Sal, hear from him today, and be sure to hit subscribe. And Stay up to date on the Instagram. It's at LiveYourPB. Go follow along there. Link is right below. And Let's get started.
1: What's up and welcome to the Live Your Personal Best podcast. This is the place where I help current and former athletes like you to show up confidently in the gym and in life. I'm your host, Emily Kaufman, a former Division I athlete and author of Elite to Everyday Athlete. I'm going to show you how to stay motivated in reaching your goals and how to have more fun doing it. So let's sweat it out and start living your personal best. Hey guys, today we are joined by Sal. He's a personal trainer, co-host of Mind Pump, a podcast that is dedicated to providing truthful fitness and health information. and author of The Resistance Training Revolution, which he's on to talk with us about today. Sal, I'm so excited that you're joining us.
2: Thank you so much for having me on. This is, uh, is going to be a lot of fun.
1: Yeah, no, your podcast is one that's been around for forever. So I know that even before I started mine, looking for other fitness podcasts. It was you guys that I'd listen to. So I'm very happy that you're joining us today.
2: Oh, I super appreciate that. Yeah. It's uh, the podcast space seems to be a bit young. We've only been around for about maybe six and a half or seven years, but that makes us, um, I guess veterans.
1: It really does. Well, I wanted to start off. What led you to write a book specifically on resistance training versus just exercise in general? Why was this the main focus?
2: Yeah. Now, before I I go into that, I do want to say that all forms of exercise, if applied appropriately, that's very important, right? Because you can overdo exercise or do it in a way where it's inappropriate for the individual. But all forms of exercise applied appropriately have tremendous health benefits. And I think we all know this. Now, what got me to writing this book? Well, <clears throat> I've been in the fitness space as a professional for a really long time. It's uh, about 24 years now. So I've been doing this a long time. And I grand opened health clubs and managed trainers and trained a lot of clients myself. And one form of exercise has been stigmatized since I can remember. There's a bit of stereotype surrounding uh, resistance training, which is too bad because in the context of modern life and uh, you know how people, the, ty- the amount of time that people will dedicate to exercise, the types of goals that we all have, what we're trying to accomplish, resistance training is actually the most effective uh, form of exercise, but it's, it's very much stigmatized and stereotyped. People believe that if they do resistance training, they're going to get really big and bulky. People don't realize that it's such an, a great form of exercise for longevity for fat loss. A lot of people don't realize it's actually one of the most effective forms of exercise for fat loss. It's healthy for the heart. You know, the studies now that are showing it's actually superior to other forms of exercise for heart health. Uh, it's good for functional flexibility. We have studies now that show it to be the only, so far, the only form of exercise that's been shown to stop the progression of the beta amyloid plaques that we know are part of the reason why, out uh, al- people get Alzheimer's. Right. So um, it's just this incredibly effective form of exercise. But whenever you say to somebody lift weights or, you know, strength training, it Im- immediately conjures up images of bodybuilders and, you know, uh, women tend to be a little bit of you know wary of it, maybe not so much today as they were 20 years ago, but still it's that way. It's not the form of exercise a person would choose immediately if their doctor said, hey, you need to, you know, exercise for your health. They don't think I'm going to go grab a pair of dumbbells. They tend to think I'm going to go run or do something else. So I wanted to write a book to, to, to kind of break through that. I call it the resistance training revolution because there was a book that was written years ago, decades ago about running. And if I showed you a cover of it, you would recognize it. There's like a a red shoe on the bottom and there's like a foot and it It kind of started the, the running revolution uh, where people started going out and running and it became kind of this mainstream form of exercise. And I wanted to do that for resistance training. I wanted to break through the myths and explain why in the context of, of people's lives, modern life, we don't have a lot of time to exercise and we want to lose weight and we're surrounded by lots of food. So a faster metabolism is very valuable. Like in the in that context, I mean, there's really nothing that compares to resistance training.
1: Yeah, no, it's funny that you're talking about that cardio revolution Mm -hmm. and the running because I actually had someone on my podcast a few weeks ago, Vanessa was one of the first female marathoners. And that was, you know, only a few decades ago and talking to her, I asked her why marathons and she goes, well, if you were running, that was the only thing there weren't five K's and 10 K's. And so the fact that we just kind of saw that whole revolution take off with exercise, is that kind of how you picture it starting now with the resistance training?
2: Yeah, you know, resistance training has got an interesting history when you're talking about kind of like popular culture. The first real introduction to the mainstream with resistance training would, were the, you know, the 1960s beach uh, B movies, right? So you had, uh, I don't remember the, the couples like Frankie and I forgot the other, the other young lady's name and they'd be on the beach and it was like kind of these fun movies. And there were always these bodybuilders that were on the beach and they were oiled up and they were dumb. And uh, they were very narcissistic. And so that was like the first introduction. So people thought, oh, people who lift weights, that's that's kind of what they're like. Then you had Pumping Iron, which was a a documentary, a breakout documentary in the the 1970s. And Arnold Schwarzenegger was the the main person in there. And of course, he's very charismatic. So that got popular. And it just kind of cemented that, oh, resistance training is all about being big and ripped and looking really extreme. And then, you know, move forward. You know, popular movies and media always depicted it as that way. Women were never shown lifting heavy or training to build strength. There was a lot of myths surrounding it in the sense that, you know, it makes you manly or you get too bulky or it's not good to get the kind of body that, you know, most women uh, may have wanted. Um, And then gyms, gyms played a role as well. Gyms were not very successful business wise until they figured out we should probably figure out how to attract women. Um, and one of the ways they did it was kind of by selling some myths. You know, they, they use the word "toned," which, which is toned in the sense of how the fitness industry uses it. You know, muscles don't tone, they build or they shrink. That's really all they do, right? So toning is actually building to a smaller degree. As you start to build muscle, it feels much tighter. But why did the gym use the word, why did gyms use the word toned? Because women didn't want to build, I don't want to be big, but they did want to feel tight. So they said, "Okay, you can tone here," and the way you tone is by using these specific dumbbells over here. And they typically make them pink or purple, very condescending. And they'd say, "You know, don't go above five pounds and do 50 million reps and do these aerobics classes." And they did. It was it was it worked. It attracted a lot of people, and people more people exercise. but it kind of furthered that that you know that misinformation uh, about uh, resistance training. Um, and so here we are. Again, the number one form or the number one, two, and three forms of exercise that the average person will pick to improve their health uh, or to lose weight is typically not traditional, you know, strength and muscle building resistance training because they just don't understand it very well. So, uh, again, that's the goal. The goal is let's, let's break through that and kind of really explain what it really does for you. And when you start to understand what resistance training really does for you it's remarkable. And it's literally, it's everything that people want. They just don't know that they could get it through resistance training. They think they have to do all this other stuff.
1: Yeah. No, I like that you mentioned all the pink weights and stuff. Cause I was actually listening to one of your podcast episodes the other day where you said, even in your gym, you had a separate like women's only room, which is the exact same equipment, just marketed different and pink.
2: Oh yeah. The very first gym that I worked in, I was 18 years old and I, I became a trainer and they had a women's only Uh, workout area with machines and they were identical to the machines that were out into the open floor the only difference was the upholstery was pink and I remember even then as an 18 year old kid I felt like this was so condescending like why why are we making the upholstery pink and you know but whatever you know that's that's kind of what it was and a lot's changed since then but still you know resistance strength still carries a a lot of uh, you know misinformation around it so um, I really hope to break through that. The good news is that the, the studies around exercise now are finally looking at resistance training. We didn't have very many studies just a, a, a decade or two ago, you know. In the past, if a, a scientist wanted to study the effects of exercise on the body and health, they always picked cardiovascular exercise. It was always, we had people run on a treadmill or use a stationary bike or swim or something along those lines. So they never really tested resistance training. The only studies that were done on resistance training back then were done on athletes in regards to performance, but never did we look at them for longevity or its effects on insulin sensitivity or fat loss or how its effects on hormones or bone density, all that stuff. But that now we're now seeing that right now, we're starting to see these studies and just in the last, you know, seven, eight years, You know, we're showing, for example, if you if you diet and you exercise, uh, correction, if you diet and do cardio, okay, cardio being the most popular form of exercise for weight loss, which again is like running, swimming, that kind of stuff. You tend you see weight loss, but you also tend to see muscle loss along with that. So you'll see, you know, say ten pounds of, of weight, and maybe four pounds of that being muscle. Now that's not really a good thing because what ends up happening at the end of that is you end up with a slower metabolism. So we've all experienced this, right? We, we diet and we exercise, we lose weight, right? And then we plateau real hard. And then in order to lose any more weight, we have to cut calories even more or exercise even more. And if, if you follow that along to its conclusion, it's very unsustainable. It's like, okay, I lost 30 pounds, but oh my gosh, I can't eat any more than 1300 calories a day or I'm gonna gain some weight, right? With resistance training, what you see with the studies is no muscle loss. And oftentimes you see muscle gain and you see this trend towards a faster metabolism. Muscle is very—it's a very expensive tissue on the body. This is the why the body very readily will get rid of muscle if you don't use it because it's expensive. So like if you've ever had a cast on a leg or arm, you know how quickly you lose that muscle. If your body's not using it, it gets rid of it because it costs so much energy. And remember, our bodies evolved for the most part, most of human history, we evolved in this kind of, in this environment where calories and energy were very difficult to come by. So our bodies evolved to, to learn how to be very efficient. Well, when you when you send a signal through resistance training, what you're, the signal you're sending your body is we need muscle. We need to be stronger. And so when you lose weight with resistance training and diet, it's all body fat that you lose, you gain some muscle. And at the end of that conclusion, oftentimes if you do it right, you end up with a faster metha- metabolism than you came in with. So, You could theoretically, and I've done this with many clients, lose 30 pounds and eat more than you did when you first started, which is so much more sustainable when you consider, I mean, we live in modern societies and it's not like it was 50,000 years ago. It's the opposite. Now the problem is not that we don't have enough energy or calories around us. Now it's like, how do I deal with the fact that there's so much around me? And it's been designed to be so palatable and so tasty. And we've constructed so much around of our culture around food. How can I buffer? How can I create a, a way to where my body can buffer against those effects? Well, one of the best things you could do is have a faster metabolism. If I if I could make everybody's metabolism twice as fast as it is right now, we would solve the obesity epidemic overnight. So that's one of the, that's just one of the many benefits. I like to talk about that one because I think people get excited about that one. Um, but uh, there's so many other benefits as well.
1: Yeah. No, I think that's a really important one to talk about because you're mentioning, you know, the benefits of the resistance training is all that the muscle and metabolism, you weren't talking mm-hmm. about calories because a lot of the, I think argument for, Oh, I just want to be on the cardio machine. I just want to do cardio yeah. is because you do burn more calories that way. Which, you know, you were saying that could be true, but, you know, it's these things that are harder to measure, right? You can't really measure your metabolism.
2: Yeah. Well, what it is, is so, you know, when the obesity epidemic really first started to become something that we were aware of, you know, we knew that the problem was, and this is true, it's an energy imbalance issue. So what, what that means is if you take in more calories than you burn, those extra calories, they don't just disappear. They get stored, right? And they get stored as, as body fat. And then the reverse, right? If we take in less calories than we burn, then that means we have to burn more calories than we're eating. And so we start to take it from our body. So we, we lose weight. And so what we did with that, which is true, now it's more, a little more complex than that. And the human metabolism is very complex. And there's behaviors that are associated with weight loss and hormones and all that stuff. But ultimately, that's it's a law of thermodynamics. And that's just the way it is. Well, what we did is we looked at all forms of exercise and we placed their value based on the calories burned while we perform them. So we said, okay, since we need, since it's a, an energy balance issue, why don't we do the form of exercise that just burns the most calories? That'll be the most effective thing to do. And, and I can see the rationale that, right? So it kind of makes sense if you don't really understand how the human body works. And so if you look at exercise like that, well, then it's obvious running, right? Oh, sh- run for, uh, for an hour you'll burn more calories in that hour than if you did any other form of exercise, which is true. Now, the problem with that is it completely ignores the real value of exercise, which is how does this form of exercise get my body to adapt? And then what does that mean? What do the adaptations mean, right? So when you do resistance training, yes, you may not burn a ton of calories while you're doing it, but what you're telling your body to do in essence, is to burn more calories on its own, right? So you get to the point where you're burning four or 500 more calories all the time versus having to get on a treadmill and do it manually. But there's even more to this, right? When we talk about adaptation, let's talk about the forms of exercise that burns the most amount of calories. Let's talk about those adaptations, right? If I'm running a lot or swimming a lot or biking a lot, and again, there's health benefits to that, but we're talking from now from a, a perspective of, of metabolism. What I'm telling my body to do is get better at those things. I don't need a lot of strength and muscle. In fact, lots of muscle actually reduces my performance. This is why long distance cyclists and runners, they don't have a lot of muscle on their body. They have to be, they have to be very calorie efficient to do what they do very well. They need lots of stamina, but they don't need lots of strength. And so what the body does is it pairs muscle down. It doesn't burn the muscle. A lot of people say, oh, you burn muscle. That's not what's happening. Your body's just adapting and pairing the muscle down to make you this more efficient calorie burning machine. Efficiency, meaning like an efficient car, right? Burns less gas, burns less energy. Resistance training is actually making you less efficient with calories because the primary adaptation is strength and muscle and efficiency of, of calorie burn is kind of not really there. I don't even thinking about it, especially if you feed your body to build that muscle. Now I do want to say one thing, cause there may be somebody watching or listening who's like, well, I don't want to get bigger you know, I'm not trying to get bigger, right? Muscle's very dense. So it doesn't take up nearly as much space per pound as body fat. In fact, it takes up uh, roughly two thirds, maybe a little less than the space of body fat. So what that means is if you gained 10 pounds of muscle right now, and simultaneously lost 10 pounds of body fat, although your weight on the scale would be exactly the same, you would be a third or a little bit more than a third smaller. So you weigh the same, but you're smaller because muscle's more dense. But you have the added benefit of a much faster metabolism. That means I could eat a lot more and not gain any body fat. Um, It also means I'm sculpted and tight because muscle, it moves and feels different. Uh, than body fat. I'm more functional. I'm more mobile. And so when we look at, you know, from just broadly, if you look at the obesity epidemic, what we're really looking at is a lack of muscle epidemic. It's really what we're looking at. And there used to be this myth that the severely obese must carry a lot of lean body mass as well. But now we know through more sophisticated imaging, they also suffer from low muscle mass, lots of body fat, low muscle mass. So what we need to do is get things revved up and moving uh, on on its own, because we're going to be sitting at a desk for our job. We're going to be we're not going to be very active. That's just the way modern life is. So it's like, how can I make my body burn more calories by itself? There's, that's the most effective way.
1: Yeah, no, you're so right about, you know, reframing that of like we have the less muscle epidemic or you worded it a lot better but you know being a female athlete that's something that I grew up with you know a lot of female athletes run into these injuries not necessarily only because of overtraining but because they're just overtraining cardio they're Mm -hmm. overtraining the running and that aspect and they just don't have enough muscle Mm -hmm. and so I think that's so important too so do you think that we're kind of switching our focus to this now because we do have more of the training or we have more of the research to back it up do you think that yeah, you know, this is just kind of like the new trend. Like how, why do you see us? Switching yeah,
2: to- I, I think it's changing because, um, the, the message is getting out more. If you work with a good personal trainer, then the primary tool of, or form of exercise they'll use to transform your body is resistance training. It's one of the main tools that they, use. so it's getting out. There's also less stigma with women. CrossFit did a good job with that. CrossFit was this kind of hardcore, you know, resistance training based form of exercise. And you had these female athletes presenting themselves and you know, women were like, wow, that looks uh, pretty good. Um, you know, I just, in fact, I just read, I can't remember. It's a Disney cartoon. It just came out. Animation, as you say, it just came out. It's the one where they're, I think the Peruvian, the family's Peruvian. Oh,
1: Bruno. Uh,
2: that, no. Or it...
1: Uncanto un Yes, un, un, un canto. Canto. Yeah.
2: Yes. And then there was the, the aunt that was really strong and buff, mm-hmm.
1: right? Yeah.
2: They're selling more of her merchandise than they are of the main... Uh, character. So girls are buying more of that than the main, which I think is so amazing, right? Um, which they didn't think. They didn't think girls would want to be the strong, you know, to, to, to buy the strong girl stuff. They'd want to buy the princess or whatever, it, which is phenomenal. So I think a lot is starting to change. I also think social media, with all of its bad, is also starting to present strong, lean women doing uh, resistance training, feats of strength, deadlifting and squatting and lifting overhead. So a lot of women and girls are looking at it going, oh, that's that's something I, I think I want to do and she looks really good. So maybe it's just what I, you know, this is going to be pretty cool. And then again, uh, with the studies, the medical community now is starting to get behind it. One of my favorite kind of just area of studies, there's been this kind of the slew of studies around how to identify, how to find single markers that will identify all cause mortality. That's like the, the the panacea, right? Can we find a single test that will give us a good rough estimate of all cause mortality. Well, we really don't have that. It's it's you know you need to have multiple tests or whatever. But there is one that's actually more accurate than than all the others, and it's a simple hand grip strength test. Like a grip test strength test will give you a better, more accurate prediction of all cause mortality than almost any other single metric. Just how strong your grip is. Wow. So, and we're showing now this connection to strength and uh, longevity. So we also are now showing um, with these studies, these beneficial hormone effects. A lot of people aren't talking about that. Well, maybe some people are talking about this, especially for men, but we're in a bit of a, a hormone crisis with men and women, especially men. Testosterone levels have been dropping for decades. This is well documented. And in women, we're seeing lots of hormone dysregulation, estrogen and progesterone being off and kind of this you know interesting thing that's going on. Lots of hormone therapy clinics are are popping up and all that stuff. Well, being healthier tends to promote a better uh, hormone profile, just period, right? If you're just healthier, more active, you have a better diet, you have a better hormone profile. But one form of exercise, there's only one that's been shown to reliably raise testosterone in men, all men, whether it's low, high, or in the middle, and also have a very positive effect on the female hormone profile, raise growth hormone, have a better cortisol response, balance estrogen and progesterone. And that's, again, resistance training. So you may wonder why. Why is resistance training showing to have such powerful uh, impacts on hormones versus other forms of exercise? Well, here's how it works, right? Resistance training tells the body to build muscle. When your body gets the signal to build muscle and it's fed properly, so you have an adequate amount of protein and you're eating a decent diet, it organizes its hormones in a way to build muscle. In men, that means higher testosterone. In both men and women, it means more insulin sensitivity. In women, it means a better balance of estrogen and progesterone. It means a better cortisol profile. So for all intents and purposes, when your body is trying to build muscle, what it does is it organizes its hormones in a, dare I say, more youthful way. So you start to get these hormones working to try to get you to build more muscle. So lots of people, like I would like my hormones to be more youthful or if I'm a man, I want more higher testosterone. Resistance training is just, it's, it's across the board consistently shows to have those positive impacts. It's very reliable uh, in that sense.
1: Yeah, no, that's awesome. I had no idea about that grip strength test. That's really neat to know about.
2: Yeah, there's two of, there's another one too. It's uh, can someone get up off the floor without assistance? Those two tests right there. Will tell doctors uh, quite a bit about all cause mortality. You know, along those lines, just to give you an idea of how what, what's happening, they did a study, and I want to say it maybe six years ago or so. They took college aged males and they had them do uh, grip uh, strength tests and they measured their strength and they compared it to the same test that was done in the mid 80s. Okay. The average college aged male today has the same grip strength as the average 65 year old man in the mid 80s just to show you the 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 difference in the decline and the change which is to me I was like so eye-opening like oh my gosh what's going on here
1: yeah it's eye-opening but it's almost not surprising at the same time like I'm (laughs) not like over here being like oh no that seems untrue I'm almost like oh yeah I I could picture that (laughs)
2: Yeah, definitely. So, and then we have this like, uh, you know, bone weakening um, epidemic in women. You see osteopenia now, which is like before osteoporosis. You're starting to see this in women as young as their mid thirties, which is really scary, right? You don't want to, you don't want weaker bones. Um, Well, anything that causes muscles to build also causes the things that they anchor to, to build to get stronger, which is bone. So it's also the only form of exercise that will reliably uh, strength and bone in all the areas that you train now other forms of exercise you'll see a little bit of a positive it made, like running you might see a positive slight positive impact in the lower body but nothing in the upper body uh but res- res- resistance training, we see this huge robust response in all the areas of tra- that that are trained the, the, at least with the corresponding bones that the muscles attach to which is uh, i mean that's phenomenal
1: yeah so i've loved you know deep diving into all this research with it, it seems like, you know, going towards resistance training is how you should kind of go if you're not, you know, an athlete trying to specialize in something specific. I'd love to talk now about how to actually incorporate resistance training into your life, into a training plan, all of that. Is this something that beginners can do?
2: Yeah, anybody can do it. Um, It's the most individualizable form of exercise. So I could take anybody with almost any uh, physical you know, disability, and I can do some form of resistance training. It's very, very customizable. Unlike other forms of exercise where, you know, you might not be able to run, you might not be able to cycle, but I can apply resistance in in ways to help strengthen your body. So it's very individualizable, which means you can customize the heck out of it. One of the best aspects of it is it doesn't need to be done very often or frequently. In order to yield the benefits of resistance training, which is the adaptation part, right? Send the signal to build muscle for most people that looks like two days a week. Okay. As you get more advanced, you can move up to three days a week. And then if you're really advanced, maybe four, but two days a week with all the stuff I just talked about, the faster metabolism, the sculpting, you know, building some strength and some muscle about two days a week is perfect for most people so long as it's applied uh, appropriately. So that's one of the, like one of, one of my favorite parts of it, because you know, I trained people for decades and uh, towards the end of my career, after having lots of experience, I got really, really good at getting the average person to be able to incorporate exercise into their lives forever. Right? That's such a challenge, right? Such a challenge to get somebody who doesn't exercise or whatever, to be able to, to do something and then keep it for the rest of their life. The, the drop off rate with exercise is like north of 80%. So I got really good at that. But one thing that I realized was the average person who's not a fitness fanatic is not going to do more than two or three days a week. You're just You're not going to get the average person to work out every single day. okay? They're just It's they, just not that fun to them. It's not they get the benefits two days a week, through two days a week or three days a week, and they're done, and that's it. So here we have a form of exercise where we could really yield so much benefit, which is two days a week. Whereas other forms of exercise? If the form of exercise you're doing, if the primary benefit is the calories you burn while you do it, you got to do it every single day. If the primary benefit of the form of exercise you're doing is the adaptation and then the calories your body burns on its own, well, now I can only do it, I only have to do it a couple of days a week. You also build something called muscle memory, which is really cool. And this works again, really well in the context of modern life. So this is very well documented. If you build, let's say you build five pounds of muscle, let's say it takes you, let's say I get the average woman who wants to lose weight and she hires me to train her and I train her, you know, for 45 minutes, twice a week. I, for the the average woman could probably expect to gain about five pounds of muscle in that period of time. And then we could lose lots of body fat in the same period of time. But after about a year, we're we're gonna build five solid pounds of muscle, which means she's gonna feel much tighter, much more sculpted, a lot of hard work, two days a week, great. Now let's say she falls off. Let's say she stops seeing me for three months, just doesn't wanna work out anymore. And her body adapts in the other direction and she loses all five five pounds of muscle. Then she calls me up and she goes, Sal, I want to get back into it. Let's do this again. No problem. It took us a year to gain the five pounds of muscle the first time. It'll take me a month and a half or two to gain it back the second time because the body, it's called muscle memory. and, And we don't have to get too deep into the weeds, but our body sets us up so that we can gain the muscle back much faster the second time around. So now you have this form of exercise where it's not permanent results, but closer to permanent results than what you would find with other forms of exercise. Also, it sticks around uh, much longer than other forms of exercise. They just did a study where they compared two groups of men. One group worked out uh, consistently every single week for 12 weeks, uh, I'm sorry, 16 weeks. The other group worked out for three weeks and then the fourth week they would take off and they would repeat that cycle. Three weeks on, one week off. Three weeks on, one week off for 16 weeks. At the end of the 16 week study, the the, the gains in strength and performance and muscle were nearly identical. Okay. Nearly identical at the end. So now you tell me which group the average person's schedule is probably going to look like throughout the year. Right now, other forms of exercise are not so forgiving. So how do you incorporate this into your life? I would say 30 to 45 minutes twice a week, um, try to make it a solid schedule. That's how we're, we're better off being consistent that way. If we know it's the you know same two days, Monday, Thursday, or whatever, train the whole body. Okay. Focus on what are called big gross motor movements. So like squatting, pressing, rowing, overhead, pressing, lunging, like those exercises just give you a lot of bang for your buck. They really give you a lot for the amount of time that you spend doing them. Um, And then people ask me, well, how hard, you know, how hard should I work out? Intensity is very individual. If you do more than you're used to now, your body will respond. Those crazy hardcore workouts that you see on social media done by those super ripped, super fit, you know, individuals. The reason why they train that way is because they've been working out for so long that to get their body to progress any further, they have to use that amount of intensity. The average person, that amount of intensity is not only unnecessary, it's also going to slow you down and and probably cause your body to not progress at all because it's so busy trying to heal that it can't adapt. So the intensity needs to be appropriate to your fitness level, okay? So more than you're used to, that's all you got to think about. And then uh, the next point I'd like to make is treat your workouts like skills practice versus workouts. So what I mean by that is, Let's say you go to the gym and you have your workout and your exercises for the day are uh, squats, bench press, uh, barbell row, overhead press, and then maybe some crunches. So you got five exercises. Rather than going into the workout and saying, oh, it's squats. I'm going to just hammer my legs. Oh, it's, it's rows. I'm going to just blast my back. Think like this. Oh, it's squats. I'm going to practice these squats and get really good at that. Make sure my form is perfect and it feels really comfortable and I feel real stable and tight oh, it's time for me to do my rows. Let me practice my rows and get really, really good at them. That's going to give you so much better results and far less injury because the exercises themselves, the benefit you derive from them moves up exponentially as your technique and form improves. So just practice the technique and form and you're probably more often than not going to use the right intensity. You're going to have a low risk of injury and you'll see yourself have this nice consistent flow of progress as you continue along your, your journey of fitness.
1: Yeah. I like that advice. You almost don't need to worry about the intensity. The intensity you should be at it will be there and just focus on the skills instead.
2: Absolutely, cuz as you get more advanced, you're going to practice with more weight and you're going to make it more intense on your own. And I found when I tell clients that, again, it's more often than not they choose the right intensity. If I don't say that to them, especially when you get a little ambitious or you feel very motivated, people overdo it all the time. Like you should finish a workout, if you're doing it right, you should finish your workout and feel more energized than you, than you felt going into it. You should not feel at the end spent or wasted or, or dead. That's not the, the right long-term approach. You should feel better. Like, oh my gosh, I feel so good. I feel like I could do another one. Like, okay, you're doing the right thing. You should not feel sore for two days, three days, maybe a little bit of soreness, but that's about it. No soreness is fine too. But if you're sore for two or three days, you probably went too hard. So, and you would be surprised how little it takes to get that sore for a beginner, especially like if I take somebody who doesn't work out and I just have them do, you know, 10 full body squats, this is someone doesn't exercise. They're going to feel just that the next day. And we're probably okay. That's about it. Right.
1: Yeah. No, I love that, and I feel like the person listening to this—they're like ears perked up when you're like, "Yeah, just start two times a week, and that's good." They're like, "Yes, like that is something manageable and doable." And you also mentioned too that each of the sessions you can focus on full body. Mm-hmm. That's correct.
2: Mm-hmm. Full body. So body part splits, and oh, today's you know leg day and today's back day. Like that's not nearly as effective. Go in, and you want to pick you know, uh, and I, in in my book, I I give sample workouts. I actually give workouts for people who don't have equipment and then people who just have access to dumbbells and then people who have access to dumbbells and barbells, but just go in and do, you know, between three to five exercises that target most of the body, right? So squats, they work the whole lower body, hamstrings, quads, glutes, you get a little calf work uh, with, especially with a deep squat, you know, a bench press is going to work your pushing muscles, a row is going to work all those pulling muscles, including the back and the biceps and the grip overhead press. You're going to get some good shoulder and posture work. And you know, you you want to pick about four or five exercises and then go in and practice them.
1: Yeah. No, I, I love that. I think that's the, like probably the, probably the next myth that we're trying to get through and get over is I know personally, if I go online and I'm like, Oh, let me try a new workout let me try a new training plan and then i'll look and this person's like oh on tuesday this is tricep and shoulder day yeah and i'm like i i can't believe we have a whole day dedicated to this like i don't have every day to do that
2: yeah i mean i mean without getting too deep it's actually far less effective for everybody um, to train that way when you do resistance training you send a signal that says build muscle that signals it stays elevated for 24 to 48 hours okay now the healing process can take much longer. So the, the problem is that people confuse healing with adapting. So adapt, healing is, it would be like this, like I rub my skin with something rough. So now it's, I've, I have, I've chafed it. The healing process is replacing the skin that was lost. The adapting process would be adding more layers of skin to develop a callus, right? So if I work out with resistance, I've caused a little bit of damage. The healing process is let's heal from this damage. The adeptro- ad- adapting process is let's add a little bit more strength, a little bit more muscle so that next time we don't have the same the, the, the same insult's not going to cause the same amount of damage. And so that's the goal is adapting, not healing. Like what you don't want to do is go to the gym, get super sore. Soreness goes away, go back, get super sore. Soreness goes away. And you end up in the same place. You're just like spinning your tires in the dirt. You don't want to do that. And I do know that it's glorified on social media and stuff to, to have these really crazy hardcore workouts. I think part of that is because of how we go into our our workouts. Like, you know, if we look at like the average avatar, right, it's uh, the average person wants to lose weight. So they wanna lose 30 pounds and they wanna feel better and they're finally motivated to work out, right? And there's a lot of self hate and shame that's driving that. Oh my gosh, I can't believe I'm so overweight or I don't look attractive or I've got this beer belly. And so they go to the gym and they want to beat themselves up because it's a form of punishment. It's like, Oh no, this is what I'm, I mean, how many times have you heard someone say, Oh, I eat a bunch of pizza yesterday. I'm gonna go to the gym and beat myself up. Right. So it's almost like, Oh, this is what I deserve in order to look the way I want. And we can go into that, right. That whole like self hate spiral that makes us restrict our diet. And somebody says, Hey, you want a cookie? No, I can't have that. And, you know, who's saying that, right. So it's the version of you that's restricting you because you know, you, you didn't do good before, so you deserve to be punished. You can't think of it that way. Think of your, think of exercise, all forms of exercises, forms of self-care. Like I'm here because I deserve to be healthy. I deserve to be taken care of. You're going to train yourself more appropriately when you do it that way. You're not going to go to the gym and try to kill yourself because that's not how you take care of someone. You go to the gym and train appropriately and feel yourself feel better and get stronger and feel more vibrant, not feel like you just went through war and you got to go home and lay on the couch.
1: Yes, no, you should come out of it still feeling good. I've loved this whole conversation. I've learned so much about resistance training today. Is there any one last piece of advice that you'd love to leave everyone with?
2: Yeah, um, I think that, you know, I, I like to really hammer that home. You know, you you have to look at your pursuit of fitness as a form of self-care that doesn't mean you can't be objective and honest and say to yourself, I haven't taken care of myself. My body definitely reflects the fact that I haven't been eating in ways to take care of myself. I haven't been active. It's okay to say, Oh yeah, I'm definitely overweight or I'm definitely at a, have more body fat than I think is ideal for myself. I don't feel good. That's okay. But then don't take that and turn that into hate and shame because although that's a very powerful short-term motivator, it's a terrible long-term motivator. What that ends up doing long-term, I mean, how many times have you heard someone say this, right? They, You have a friend that they, they, they started exercising, they started dieting, and then you see him again a few months later. And, oh, how's the workout going? Oh, I stopped. You know, I just want to enjoy my life, right? It's like, enjoy your life. Like being healthy is Enjoying your life, but for them it wasn't because it was all about self hate. Every time they went to the gym, it was about beating themselves up. Every time they said no to a slice of pizza, it was restricting because they don't deserve it or whatever. Right? Go into it with the idea of like, I need to take care of me. I want to do what's good for me. And then what you'll do is you actually start to find balance. Like, imagine if you're you know you had a really stressful day. Maybe you had crappy sleep the night before. You're supposed to go to the gym and work out. And you're like okay i feel like crap i got bad sleep like you know i gotta go work out i'm supposed to work out like but i gotta i want to take i need to take care of me like you know what i'm i probably shouldn't work out like i probably should just sit here and stretch and maybe meditate i think that's what i need right versus the self-hate person is like i don't care i'm gonna go to the gym and beat myself up right or give up and say i'm done hating myself now it's time to quote unquote enjoy myself by making myself you know my, my health even worse so I, w- I like to end with that because I, I, the the key to anything, including, you know, the, finding the benefits of resistance training is the root is the root is really the driver. So what's driving you? And if it's self-care and self-love, you're going to be good. You're going to do well. And you're going to do this well, long-term. If it's self-hate, it's going to end. I promise you. you're you going to do short term and it'll stop.
1: Yeah, definitely. It's all about that mindset and intention behind it. Thank you so much for joining us today. Where can people find you and your book and your training, all of that?
2: Thank you. So the book, you can find anywhere that sells books. So Barnes & Noble, Target, uh, Amazon sells it, The Resistance Training Revolution. You can find me on my podcast. So Mind Pump is, uh, we're the top fitness and health podcasts in the world. You can find us on any podcast platform. And then if you want to find me on social media, you can find me on Instagram um, at Mind Pump South.